sweat the technique. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. It's the Killer Bees here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. One hour left to go. Joe George in for Jeremy Branham alongside Joel Blank. We're on Twitter at Joe George Radio. At Pac-Man Joel, Josh Chevy behind the glass on Twitter at IMJ Chevy. And uh, we're going to talk some more Texans here. We started the show today with going over that ESPN Power Football Index saying the Texans have a 58.4% chance to make the playoffs. We all went over what we have it at. We're somewhere between like 55 and 70 collectively as the three of us today. Um, But, you know, this season is an overwhelming success for the Houston Texans. Really, no matter what has happened, like you have a franchise quarterback, you have a coach that really seems like he knows what he's doing, has the franchise handled in a positive direction. You have a, you have Nick Casario, who, you know, we we crush him for trading up for Nick for Nico Collins, but it's worked out really well for him. And he he moved up for Tank Dell. He's brought in all these starters that have had good success on the team this year, and I think all of that's a really good story, and it's a win. And that's why, Joel, I view this season almost as like a two-parter, okay? You have your first part. It was going into the year. What are they going to be? How's that trade going to look at the end of the season that you did for Will Anderson? And all that's like a resounding victory, and and I'm good with all of that stuff. And that's where, for me, we're now like part two uh, of how I view the 2023 Texans season. And I will say I, I think this season is now a disappointment if they do not make the playoffs because they have changed my expectations of who they are. And I, and I don't care what my expectations were before the season. My expectation for them now is that they are going to make the playoffs and I'm going to be disappointed if they do not. You personally could be disappointed at the end result, Joe, but I don't think that you can ignore in victory what you wouldn't in defeat or however the saying goes, because I think that no one projected leave colleagues out of this. No one could have projected that this team was going to be this good right now sitting where they're at and looking at the playoffs the way they're staring at them and say that this, te- this season hasn't been a success to this point. No one in their right mind looked at this roster and realistically thought, hey, look, if the Texans do this and, and nine games in are at five and four, that there's anything else that they could do that really makes this season a disappointment. Because you're not being run by Lubby Smith. You're not being run by David Cully. You're not having Jack Easterby and others meddle in and just the fighting Rex Burkheads trying to save face for you. You see both short and long term what this team has, but also what it's done now. Because it, I kept saying I was looking for that signature win. You beat Cincinnati in Cincinnati coming off a hot streak to where I don't care who was playing or not because you could look at the laundry list of guys that weren't playing for the Texans and yet they found a way to win. So it's hard for me to say if they don't make the playoffs, but they keep playing this kind of spirited football. They're in these games. They're not self-inflicting the wounds that caused them to miss the playoffs that I could deem this this team and this season a disappointment because I didn't, and I again, I own this, and I've said it throughout. I did not expect this from this team this season. So for them to do all the things, me personally, and I think it should be for a lot of people, if you had low expectations for this team, I don't think you should suddenly be able to say, 
this team, this, this was a disappointment because they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Because they did so much already. And that's like why I said, like, that's why I say I view this season as two parts because, like, this, this season is a, is a massive win. Every question mark you have has been answered. But the thing is about those questions is I expected them to take till week 18 to know some of the answers. You know, you know what was it going to look like from week one to week, week 18 with Tamiko Ryans, Bobby Sloak, CJ Stroud? But they don't need 18 weeks. Like, they, they've answered every question with a, a resounding yes. CJ's a star. Yes, he's a franchise quarterback. Yes, D'Amico's a good head coach. So, like, I know all that stuff. So, like, that's why, like, for me, it's like I view this season as, like, a two-parter now of what my expectations were before the season. They've crushed it. This season's a home run. But my expectations have changed for them now. So, like, I'm always going to say part one of the season is a resounding, huge, huge success. From this point on, from the Bengals game on, if they fall apart and don't make the season, I'm going to be disappointed. It doesn't mean it's a failure. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, you're not the Buffalo Bills. You're not, if the Cincinnati Bengals don't make the playoffs, like, you're not in the category of those teams. You're not even a team like the Bears or the Packers who, you know, they have young quarterbacks and they expected to see something from. You, you've outlasted and passed all that stuff. Like, you are in a room where you didn't belong. And, and where you, no one thought you were going to go. So I just, I would be bummed if they don't make the playoffs at this point because my expectations and my, what I think the goals for this team have dramatically changed. So I think it's a different way of looking at it too from the definition of it, right? Because when we talk about teams other than this, it's like if the Astros didn't make the playoffs, would yeah. it have been a disappointment? A failure. Absolutely. It would have been a failure. That's where I was going. You can be disappointed at the, and at the end result, bottom line, at the end of the total season, right? But to be disappointed in the season as a whole for how you got to the point where you were fighting for a playoff spot till the bitter end should not be forgotten because you aren't the Chiefs, because you aren't the Astros in baseball, because you are a team that was desperately trying to be relevant again, because you were trying to find a coach, a quarterback, and an identity from a franchise perspective that allowed people to support you and like you and pull for you again. And all those things were achieved, right? Even we thought that the biggest, most challenging part of all this was, could you get an organization and an ownership to look somewhat acceptable, right? To look like they passed the eye test locally and nationally. That's done. Yeah. Everything that they've achieved and done and the boxes that they've checked this season are just part of the stepping stone to where they're going to continue to ascend to. And we don't know when that ends. You look at the Buffalo Bills. They did another Buffalo Bills. They kept getting close, but no cigar. And now it looks like they're already free falling around their way down. The Texans, if this is their first big step, good Lord, let's have fun with the next couple big steps along the way. Yeah. I, one of my early thoughts about like the Texans just like next year, because it's weird because like you're in this place where like this year really matters and everyone's excited for it. But we've all kind of started talking about like what the future can look like with the Texans. Do you think we're going to wake up? In like August next year, and ESPN and Fox are doing all their all their big names are doing their NFL predictions. You think we're going to see people put the Texans in the Super Bowl next year? I think again. I think next year's too soon. Like I feel like we're going to see like a Dan Orlovsky. There are some hot takers out there. Yeah, or like, some cli- I think someone will so, do some, it next some year. click hungry people that yeah. look for all the love and the props when it comes through that might already say the time is now. Like I but, won't but, be but, doing but, that. But the rest of the landscape in the AFC hasn't gone away. Yeah, I just I feel like someone from 
NFL Network, ESPN. And I don't think it'll just be one person. If the Texans could land somebody like a T. Higgins, yeah. then I think for sure you'll see, you Josh, see it. I hear you, and I know Joe was the first to bring that up, but I think the question mark becomes then, is T. Higgins a wide receiver? One, because he'll get money like it, but he, then he's got then the expectations are he's got to perform like it, and that's a big step. That's the Westbrook separating from Durant and then saying, I want to be Batman, and then realizing, or James Harden, that might be too much for me to toe. So... I think that you have the quarterback that is going to be the sexy, easy, marketable thing to promote that if you say that, people aren't going to scoff at it like they would have this year. But is it realistic? I would say no. Like, I don't think next year is the Super Bowl year. If it were to happen, I think it would be the year after. I'm already obviously on the record that C.J. Stroud will take the Texans to a Super Bowl. I would be – I'm like 99% confident I will not be one of the people that would predict the Texans to go to the Super Bowl next year. I just think it will happen. Like, and, and it might be Colin Coward, <laughs> like Skip Bayless, Dan Orlovsky, like these guys who are just gushing constantly over CJ. I think someone's going to, someone will predict the Texans it's be to Dan. go. I think it's it's, it's going to be Dan. I'm leaning at Dan Orlovsky too. We should do, oh, that's a game we'll have to play after the season. We'll do a draft mm-hmm. after the season. We'll do like a, a five-round draft. Pick your national media analyst that goes all in and puts the Texans in the Super Bowl. I think the first pick would have to be Dan Orlovsky. I think it would absolutely have to. All right, Joel Blank was not here yesterday. No. He was out. He had family responsibilities to take hold of. And But there was a topic that we discussed a little bit. It was nominated for our car wreck of the day. But I was, I was bummed that Joel was not here yesterday for one very big topic. And we have to talk about it next. Because I cannot wait. And I don't think you can wait either to hear what Joel Blank has to say about Draymond Green putting Rudy Gobert to chokehold. We do that next year on The Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Community Bank Studios. It's The Killer Bees here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Joe George and Joel Blank here with you until 6 o'clock. We'll have game on with Jerome Solomon and I think Barry Laminak will, will be making an appearance. The Laminator's going to come back? I don't know. He was in St. Louis last week. He was really upset. Pete, speaking of people, there are a lot of people upset on Twitter right now. Oh boy. You can guess so, one so I hear. Uh Barry Laminak's also upset on Twitter. He went off yesterday on TikTok. TikTok, yeah. He was not happy um with TikTok because they took down one of his jokes that they deemed way too offensive. But you know, Joel, I don't know if you have like this ultimate take, but I just assumed you would. So I was like, we have to talk about this today because I know you don't love Draymond Green. What was your thoughts on uh, Draymond Green putting uh, good old Rudy Gobert, who canceled the NBA season, in a chokehold? It's interesting to me because I thought five games was excessive, and I interesting. Thought, and and when I look Kyrie at it, Kyrie got ten. Kyrie did. Was, Kyrie was there, racist. I agree. He, he was racist. There were layer after there were so many For more sure. layers, right? Like there's a lot that goes into this, but when you look at it, like nice try on Steve's Kerr, Steve Kerr's part to say, hey, when when Draymond did what he did, Rudy was strangulating Clay Thompson. No, he really wasn't strangulating him. Like he was around the jersey area, but that was a bit of a stretch, right? But this is a hundred percent about Draymond's reputation. And this is like the Rodman days where enough was enough and the league continually tried to send a message that would finally hit home. I think that's what this is with Draymond. Because when I look at it, 
the interesting thing, and if you saw Pat Beverly's podcast, it was fantastic because he basically called out a lot of the stuff that you really wouldn't get otherwise about, did you notice how many people didn't go to the defense of Rudy Gobert? Like Clay got all his guys to go to his defense like Draymond. Like everyone, he made the statement, I believe, that everyone hates Rudy, okay? So the one thing that Draymond went too far on, it's one thing to jump in immediately and try to end it or separate them by grabbing Rudy and separating him from Clay. The fact that you wouldn't let go, you headlocked him and strangulated him and then kept pulling him, and it took, like, multiple people to get you off of him, that's why you deserved multiple games. Five's a lot. Man, I'm surprised that you think five's a lot. I really do. I mean, I know he didn't punch a fan in the face, but, like, Ron Artest nearly never played in the end. He put a guy in a chokehold. Ron Artest, I support it. Now, funny, so this was my take yesterday, too. I thought Draymond Green should have gone all the way. I thought it was a weak chokehold. Like, Rudy Gobert shouldn't have been able to, like, make, make faces and been like, what's going on? Like, if you're going to do it, you got to do it. You got to be going for the TKO tap out. You got to be trying to find a limp put him body in a on Nelson? the court. Like, no, like, you just got to squeeze, man. Like, he didn't put him in a real chokehold. Like, if you're going to do it, go all the way. See, here's the thing, too. I saw a lot of people saying someone should have thrown a haymaker at Draymond. Dude, Carl Anthony Towns looked like a total punk because he— But if you throw a haymaker, you're getting more than Draymond. Yeah, man, but, like, if— Okay, let's have fun here. There's someone that's very angry with us on social media right now. So I let's just continue know. the conversation. If Patrick Creighton came in here, doesn't like our takes, and puts you in a chokehold, I'm going to knock his ass out. That's, if someone puts my teammate in a chokehold, like, we're going to war. See, I think that there's multiple ways, though. My point being, like, you're messing with the guys. Like, when you talk about the strangle, you're being strangled, right? Yeah. Strangle, you could end someone's life. Yeah. Right. That's where it like throwing a punch ain't going to end. I, I know someone's going to say Dooku Kim and, and all these other boxing references on an NBA court without fake tough guys are. You could throw a punch. Yeah. There's ways you could separate and go to bat for your guy without doing that. Right. But the fact that Draymond has done a lot, the severity of like what he did to Sabonis when he literally stepped down on his sternum. Oh, yeah. Those kind of things. This all played into what he did the other night. But I think that the fact that defiance plays into the fact that Draymond keeps going to his own podcast every time he's disciplined yeah. or anything that's happened and, and basically just blows it off and makes it a bigger, even a bigger deal where he continues to show no remorse is probably a lot of why the league did what it did. I thought five was too much. Really? See, I, I thought they could have done more. Like, if you're of all the players, like, I, I thought five would be the standard if, like, sorry, don't be offended by this, Jeff Green. But, like, if Jeff Green had a bad night and he just, like, he got this upset to finish his teammate, did something, I thought five games, like, would be fair. But, look, this is a guy that on camera, they have, like, it got leaked. He punched his teammate in the face. The incident you talked about, he stomped on someone's chest. He put a dude in a chokehold. Like, I thought I was expecting 10 or 15. I mean, look, I, I think 10 the, NBA, or 15. I mean, look, the NBA's made their stance clear. Like, I understand, like, the image they're trying to portray. They care way more about off-the-court stuff than they do on the court. Well, there, there's no doubt. Even from, like, you know, if, the, if you throw the ball at the basket standard and it doesn't hit the basket standard square and the ball goes into the stands, you can get a game or two games for yeah. that because they're so worried about the safety. You know, look, when we saw Westbrook, uh, or when the bottle came down and then he was going to go in the stands or he flipped the phone out of the oh, guy's yeah, hand, yeah. They, they have to protect the fan first and foremost. It goes back to when Barkley spit and ended up catching that little girl. Sure. 
you can't do that kind of stuff because the fans are your livelihood. But when you're talking about on the game, in the heat of competition, I think that if you did what happened to Rudy, now you're talking about seasons and maybe permanent bans and all the things that, you know, from what Kermit Washington did, because that was a sucker punch, and that was horrible. Yeah. This is where two teams are engaging. It starts with two players. You don't want a melee to, to ensue. Sure. He, ex- he extends it and takes it up a notch by coming out of nowhere getting him in the chokehold and dragging it. Yeah, I just think the NBA has, like, just like everything they do, they get it wrong. Like, I... I look, man, I'm not going to sit here and defend John Morant for being an idiot, but that dude got eight games the first time he waved a gun in a club and got caught on video. Draymond Green on national television just put a guy in a chokehold and he got less games. Like, I, they clearly care way more what happens off the court and, like, if TMZ picks up the story... So how long do you think he deserved? I was just going to double it. Like, I'm not saying, like, 20 or 30, but, like, I'm just surprised that with someone with his history, like, look at John Morant. He went from eight games. Multiple offender, though. But but that's my point. Like, he went from, like, eight games to, like, what, 25? Jerry Green, like, this is his third at a minimum because we're not even including the, the... the nut shots that happen all the time. Well, the Jordan Poole, but you see, you can't include the Jordan Poole thing either. See, I think that's interesting. Why? Because I would say, yes, it's on video. It's at practice. But it was at practice. It's internal. I can't tell you between planes I've been on, practices, weight room sessions. I can't tell you how many fights happen in the NBA that no one knows about. The fact that somehow randomly, and it seems like one of their own people oh, decided to put that out there. Definitely. But from the people that I talked to, Jordan Poole deserved it. He was talking mess. He started. He got the new contract and started believing all the hype about himself. And a veteran put him in his place. That ain't the. Fr- I got news for you. That ain't the first time something like that's happened. It's oh, of just, course, not. it's just that it leaked out. Michael Jordan, so I don't, Steve Kerr in the face. Yeah, I don't put that on Draymond like I do in a playoff game when you do something like you did to Sabonis, and then you want you have a problem with the fact that you're actually going to be suspended for a game since you were already suspended for a, a finals game and maybe cost your team another ring. Yeah. in the process of doing so. So, to me, you look at I, I question and I ask you guys. Like, how much do you think he should have gotten? But also, is was the chokehold worse or was it less than a haymaker or a big punch or something that oh, we've also seen? It's definitely less because he doesn't he doesn't really squeeze. Like, it, it, he didn't go full, like, UFC in the octagon. Like, he didn't tighten his elbow and, like, try to, like, put him unconscious. Right. I mean, Rudy Gobert is able to make faces, throw his hands up, like, what's going on? I can't believe this is happening. It is to that point where, like, that is the big difference is he doesn't go for, like, the full, like, put him to sleep move. He just, he did it. It's way, way different than, like, what happened to Rudy, for sure. I just, I I look at what happened, to your point, I didn't think it was that severe, though he probably should have let go a little (laughs) sooner. But I thought five was, I think five was probably too much because there wasn't a massive sucker punch or a cheap shot. And it was the fact that these are two pretty big dudes in the middle of a melee that started with two other dudes, and then everybody was getting involved in it to where if they were separate from the rest of the group, could they would it have broken up sooner? Maybe. But it wasn't like a, a season. A lot of times what they do, too, is they'll factor in what was the damage done to the other guy. Mm-hmm. Like if you threw a punch and it broke his jaw and he was out for a significant amount of time, there was the, the, the Alex Caruso, Grayson Allen play where Caruso – Uh, was going up for a layup, and Grayson Allen, some thought, was a cheap shot, took him out, he broke his wrist, he was out for multiple months. That's when you can say, okay, then he should be out a significant amount of time because the guy you just took out is going to be out for for, a long period of time. 
if Rudy suffers a damage, damaging injury that costs him his career or his season or is dealing with an injury that's going to put him out for any period of time, now I see five and longer for Draymond. The way that that all kind of, that was more like a kerfluffle to me than any kind of like a malice at the palace. Oh, it definitely was better that like, yeah. Uh, did I don't you, think I could go more than five. Did you see the Anthony Davis one? Like they kind of, he got into like Yeah, little, that was like, was it last year? Or no, no, it was, no, it was in New Orleans. the same night. They had, there was a fight the other oh, night, you're too. Oh, I thought, well, because Draymond's gotten into it with Anthony Davis <laughs> yeah, before, yeah, too. Yeah. The, my, my biggest take on, like, Anthony Davis starting fights is, like, there should be a rule that if you're injured for X amount of percentage of a season, you're not allowed to fight. Like, you can't well, be, like, you can't start a fight when half the time you're out because you have a hangnail. See, there's there's a ton of fake toughness, and I've seen it too many times oh, in my career. Oh, the NBA is the king of the to fake where, toughness. You know, the funny thing that we always said was the two kings of fake tough squared off when KG fa- faced Dwight Howard. They were the biggest blowhard talkers in the world. Dwight wanted everybody to believe he was the strongest man in the world, and he was Superman. He didn't want to fight anybody. KG had the strongest mouth in the world, but when it came down to throwing Dukes, when you looked at his physique and, and, and his, his you know muscle, he wasn't going to go toe-to-toe with anybody. And one night when we played the Celtics, they squared off. Mm-hmm. And you could see it was like, they're looking out of the corner of their eyes like, we're the security guards. Someone grab me. Someone get in the way so I can pretend like I'm going after him to swing. And it was like, oh, my God, who's going to back out first of the two fake tough dudes? Yeah, I love the NBA. It's so funny. All the fake fights that happen. Uh, let's go out to the phone line. 713-780-3776. This should be interesting. Lamont, what's going on, man? Hey, Joe, uh, 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 while we talking about fights and unspoken uh, uh, things that come out of the, uh, you know, that come out of the locker room, Matt Bullard told a story. Uh, uh, I don't remember what station it was on. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it at that. But he said that Akeem, Akeem and uh, Akeem and Maxwell, oh. Brandon Maxwell, got into a fight in Key Arena in a tunnel. And, 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 and the the fight wasn't the most uh, 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 the most surprising, uh, the shocking part of it. He was saying that Maxwell was handling his business against the team. I just want to know from you, is that valid? So, Lamont, it is because Vernon talks about it in a podcast now. Vernon went out and actually detailed the entire thing in a podcast where he went out in his very special way and said like that they had a beef on the court. It rolled over into halftime. Before he knew it and knew literally what hit him, he was in the locker room and Akeem had just open-handed him and that somehow along the way there was like shattered glass and everything and he was going to pick up some shattered glass and he was going to go at Akeem and the the building security had to get involved and everybody, you know, everything was like almost on lockdown to where Vernon highlights it. And, you know, and Vernon had one with Carl Herrera in the weight room at the compact center. There were, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to name names on all of them, I've been on flights when, whether it's a card game gone awry or someone didn't pass someone the ball to where things can escalate. It's just that we weren't in a time with the 24-second news cycle and everybody yeah, had, a, so had a camera in their hand when they had a phone that could have documented it, highlighted it, and talked about it on a podcast. But there's no doubt those things happen. Real quick here, just based off that, because I, I think I, I think they talked about this on The Last Dance. Like Even though like Michael had all that, like couldn't leave his hotel room, I couldn't imagine, like, Michael Jordan playing in today's NBA. I mean, like, he punched Steve Kerr in the face. He was going to casinos the night before playoff games. He was golfing the morning of playoff games, of finals games. I just, like, couldn't imagine Michael Jordan in today's NBA. 
Well, James like, Harden's done a lot of that. James Harden was going to Vegas whenever he wanted. James Harden was going out yeah. the night before games. He was going to strip clubs. He wasn't but hiding would, the fact that Michael he was out to all hours. Well, sure, there's a big difference in that. But James Harden, at the time he was doing this stuff, was one of the premier superstars in the in the league. Yeah, we all just kind of like you let it go. Like it's not like it's it, the James Harden well, narrative is always funny because he was doing all that stuff when you know, like in seventeen, eighteen, when they're really rolling and no one really cares. It's almost like ha ha ha, James Harden's at the strip club again, but he dropped fifty five. And then as soon as he's you know wants out of town, it's what everyone hates on him for. Well, but that's what I'm saying. The the difference is Michael still backed it up. Yeah. The next night when the game was on the line, Michael didn't you know cower away and fall into obscurity because he couldn't perform. I mean, I know for a fact I've seen Michael overcome great obstacles that had nothing to do with injury or basketball related and drop 40 and 10 and five on the Rockets the next day, not a night game, a day game after a night out where it was literally look, people don't realize back in the day how it was part of the planning. We had guys literally within the organization whose job was to figure out where the visiting team was going for dinner, drinks, and our strip clubs and making sure that they could help have their night be more enjoyable and more beverages purchased and more things that could alter their game the next day. That was gamesmanship back in the day. Did you spend more time doing that or pulling fire alarms? I don't know what you're talking about. Then that's like the big thing, isn't it? People pull fire. Personally? Yeah, yeah. No. Do you ever pull a fire alarm for the Rockets? No. Like go to the hotel, the magic. But that was the other thing. That was that was common practice. Why do you think guys now have all these assumed names when they check into hotels? And we used to get even everybody in the organization that had to reach the players for interviews or otherwise. We would get a list on the road. Hey, this is their 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 name on the road this trip because fans and otherwise gamesmanship. Look at Kobe. Kobe got food poisoned. We don't know if Michael actually got food poisoned in Salt Lake City or not, no matter what the last dance said or didn't with the pizza. But the fact of the matter is it happened all the time. Yeah, it was a very, very, very common thing. All right, let's talk some Houston Astros. We have a lot of questions about this offseason. They're going to name some MVPs today in Major League Baseball. Um, But we know what Dana Brown said the other day about being creative. Well, how creative do you have to be with your left field and center field and DH. Like, what is it going to look like? How much Jake Myers are we going to be forced to watch in 2024? We hit on that next year on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All right, we'll do our car wreck of the day. About 10 minutes from now, brought to you by CarWreckTexas.com. You can start getting your nominations in at 713-780-3776. Of course, tomorrow we'll do a lot of preview of the Cardinals and Texans game. Kyler Murray will be back. I'm curious like what people think of Kyler Murray at this point in this city. Obviously played here in high school and was a you know AM, all that stuff. Um, but I'm I'm very curious like what he's gonna look like this weekend. So we'll get to that uh tomorrow and we will do our car record of the day in the next segment. But Joel, we talked a lot about this offseason with the Astros. It's obviously it's early. Nothing's happened yet. Uh I think do you just believe like we're all in a stalemate in free agency until Otani signs? It's so, like, a starting just to start point. there. Well, like, we got to wait is, for that. But it isn't because I think that aside from what, if you want to believe what is being rumored about the Rangers being in the mix, about the Dodgers or contending teams. Sure, sounds like it's Dodgers Cubs. Want to be contending teams? If you're talking about the Cubs or the Dodgers, you're looking for big, big, big markets with big, big money, and there's only a few that are going to be players in the game, especially if he starts narrowing down where he would rather he would like to play. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, that's a big domino. But I think there are plenty of other pieces that are going to be significant in terms of how 
a maybe slightly less than contending team could take a step up and how much money they're willing to pay, like the Rangers have done in the past, or teams that might lose significant pieces that have been big parts of why they have been significant teams over the last couple of years. So I think that we're not close enough to the season yet. We're not close enough to spring training yet. There's still so many different, there's so, still so much time. I don't think anybody is in that big of a hurry. I would take it a step further and say, yeah, Otani means something. But even if he goes, if he goes back to the Angels, no one cares. And, and, and if he goes to a significant team, they're still to where most teams are still good enough that they're going to go, okay, well, maybe he makes them a little better than us or close close to us. We can still do enough to compete with them no matter what they do. Definitely. That if you're the Astros, you don't have massive gaping holes to fill. So it's not that pressing. It's from your fan base's perspective that's chomping at the bit going, hey, we lost to our biggest rival now in the Rangers, who we hate, and they spent all this money and have all these big salaries and these big names, and they won the World Series. What are we going to do to beat them? Well, and uh, there it is. Uh uh, this one of the like the second player ever I think I'm seeing here to win MVP unanimously Shohei Otani, uh, followed by Corey Seager who gets second place. Yeah, Marcus Simeon finishes in third. Well, there you go, two Rangers back to back. Julio Rodriguez finishes fourth, and then Kyle Tucker finishes fifth. Good for Kyle Tucker. Uh, Alex Bregman got some votes for MVP. Um. He had a 10th place vote. Uh, Jordan Alvarez finished, it looks like, around 10th, 11th. Uh, his highest vote was 6th, uh, which is, you know, that's not surprising with the amount of time that Isn't he played Bregman this year. Isn't surprising? They did a pretty good year. No, he had an up and down year. Well, I mean, like, he got a 10th place vote. Yeah, but still, I don't, like, they, I don't know if that year was worthy of that. Uh, inter- it's an interesting list. Uh, I mean, you've got, like, Bobby Witt Jr., Finished seventh. Well, the Astros could attest to that. Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rushman finished eighth and ninth, both of the Orioles. I thought Rushman might finish higher than that. Yeah. Because, like, he's really turned them around. Julio Rodriguez is interesting. If he finishes fourth, where's Chaz McCormick on this list? Their numbers were the I same. I just don't think anybody, not, not, not enough baseball, besides baseball aficionados, knew enough about Chaz McCormick to give oh. him that kind of love. Yeah, he's not. He's not. Dusty Baker wouldn't play him. You can't be the MVP if Dusty Baker won't play you in center field. Uh, but speaking of Dusty Baker, uh, now that he's gone, Joe Espada has the reins of, of what this team is going to look like. And I think there's a lot of question marks. Like, if they're going to add someone, Dana Brown continually talks to the media, does not mention outfield. He talks about backup for, uh, for Yiner. He talks about bullpen outfield. He talks about adding a starter pitcher. He has not mentioned left field, center field once. Um, so I think right now, Joel, it's fair to assume that we are going to go into the 2024 Astros season with Jordan Alvarez, Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, Mauricio Dubon, and Kyle Tucker as your five outfielders um, slash DHs. Kyle Tucker is going to be in right for 162, whatever it is. I think you got 130 games you can pencil in for Jordan Alvarez. But what what do you want to see? Out of, it's a Jordan's DHing day. A majority of the time, what do you think we're going to see in left well, and center this can year? Can I disagree with that first, though? I, I I think different, but yet similar. When Jeremy and I have had these conversations, that I think that whether they whether Dana says that with free agency money or how he's trying to position what they may or may not do, I think a trade is still a, a legit possibility. I hope so to throw a bat in the mix. Hundred percent. I think maybe where he's going to allocate funds is going to be directed at relief pitching and backup catcher. 
But I think that when we heard him even kind of allude to the fact that they might get a little creative in the ways that they might make some things happen this year, that we know they have a surplus of, of, of starting pitching, that they could maybe turn that into a bat where they could actually enhance that that stable of outfielders that you just named. Because yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable, and it's not just because, but it is in part because of what the Rangers did and who they have. I don't feel comfortable saying, feeling like that's enough of a good outfield for a team that's competing for a World Series in the American League with the Rangers and with some of the other teams in the American League. I feel like they have to do something different. I could do without Jake Myers regardless. I think Dubon's got a great role because he can play multiple positions. I think Chaz had a hell of a year, but I don't know that Chaz is going to have another one like it next year. And I like Chaz as my center fielder because what he did offensively and even if he falls back a little bit is better than most center fielders. But I need some. I need an extra bat because Michael Brantley, for what you paid and what you got out of him, was mm-hmm. horrible. A horrible return on investment, and you could get someone that could do more for you. If that I, makes sense. No, I agree. I, I think I think trading Jose Arcadi for a left fielder or a center fielder makes absolutely the most sense for this team this year. And because and I, I say or center field because I'm good with Chaz in left. I know, like compared to most left fielders, his numbers are not going to be where you would want them to be in terms of, you know, the power and some of the production. But if you roll out a lineup with a Chaz McCormick similar center fielder that, that is better defensively, then have Chaz in left and Tucker in right, and Jordan can be your everyday DH, and all you're giving up is Jose Arquiti in a trade, I think that's a home run. So I, that's what I would love to see. Mm-hmm. But let's just play it out. Like, in the world where we're, we're going to be bummed out and, and, and wrong... And they don't add an outfielder. Mm-hmm. If Jordan's DHing, how like Chaz is in left? I think presumably, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you want the split to be between Dubon and Myers? If that's where we're living, uh, I'm done on Jake Myers. I, I just I've seen enough. So you're like all Dubon all the time. Yeah, I've 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 done. I've seen enough of everything that I was heard that I was forced to believe from the time the Miles Straw trade was completed. I'm done thinking that this is the center field of the future, like James Click used to refer to him. And I'm really done thinking that he's an everyday major league player on a on a on a on a above average to really good baseball team. Now he might be a, a starting center fielder in the major leagues just for his defense on a lot of small market teams and teams that are you know just rebuilding. But when you're talking about some of the center fielders that you look at in baseball, but some of the ways that they have to play, he's gun shy in the outfield. He's he's a liability with the injuries he's already sustained, but with it the fact that every time his cleat touches the warning track or he has to dive for a baseball. He feels like, oh, God, here we go. I'm scared to death. And the fact that that's translated to some of the looks we see at the plate where Mm -hmm. he looks completely overmatched, I'm all for it if there's another team that finds value in Jake Myers, but I don't find value with Jake Myers in my lineup as a a fan of the Houston Astros. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Uh, And that's where if they don't make a move, you know, Jacob Melton has been named by Dana Brown, him and Spencer Aragetti. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in past interviews, I think that was one of the ones he did with John Morosi and MLB.com when he mentioned those two guys. It wouldn't stun me if we see him. I still kind of wonder, like, if there's this, like, Pedro Leon thing out there. But, like, he, he really just has never been the guy that we thought he was going to be when the Astros signed him. So, I, I, 
I wouldn't rule it out that Chaz McCormick is your left fielder and then like Jacob Melton ends up becoming your everyday center fielder at some point this season if they don't make a move. I think ideally they trade for a left fielder. Chaz is your primary center fielder. Jake Myers is your fourth outfielder. But even before he's your fourth outfielder, Mauricio Dubon is your next guy and your super utility man. And I think the Astros are grooving if that's the path they can take. Yeah, I think when you look at it, Joe, the biggest thing is is there's gonna there's still a plethora of solutions. I think a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer later in his career is a veteran that might come on the cheap that could be it's one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball if you're looking for defense up the middle. And Chaz is a more than serviceable left fielder, then at that point filling in for Jordan. And then if you, you can do whatever you want to do in terms of a bat off the bench or other guys that could actually possibly DH. I think that they have a lot of different solutions that are there in front of them right now, and, and maybe one of the reasons why I'm happy that there hasn't been any activity in Major League Baseball from a free agency standpoint, but I think that there's going to be what we, we kind of discount sometimes, but we have to look at realistically, too, is this team's been so good for so long and hasn't gone anywhere that there are going to be some veteran players looking to catch lightning in a bottle on a really good team yeah. and say, I want to play for them because I want a chance to win a ring, and they need someone like me, and I can come for cheaper because I need a ring from them. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case. Like, it would be awesome if they can make a big move in left field because I think they need it. Like, it to me, it is just as much a priority as adding to your bullpen. I think it would be a mistake to go into next season with Jake Myers and Mauricio Dubon as your main center fielders. It's just going to be tough. All right, our car wreck of the day brought to you by carwrecktexas.com. We get into that next year on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Hey, before we get to the car wreck of the day, sponsored to you by the Hollingsworth Law Firm, I'm going to tell you about the Hollingsworth Law Firm because carwrecktexas.com is something that you should have locked into your phone, as well as the phone number for Hollingsworth Law Firm, which I'll give you in just a second, because you never know when you're going to get in a car accident, and you're never expecting to get into one, but when you get into one, and believe me, I've been into a few, been in a few, and I've been into been in one recently to where immediately upon impact you start thinking who do I call what do I do first what do I do to make sure that I don't get screwed left holding the bag or get less than I deserve coming out of this thing especially if it wasn't your fault and that's where the Hollingsworth law firm comes in because they're going to be in your corner every step of the way from the jump and Steve was in here personally the other day to tell us have my phone number ready to go. It's never too soon to call us because we're going to make sure that those boxes are checked. Did you get a police report? Is there everything or evidence pointing to it? Did you get pictures of the fact that whether it was your fault or not, the damage done and what, what it goes involved? They're going to fight the insurance company. They'll fight the other driver, but they're going to fight for you. And the biggest thing is you don't pay unless you win. If you win, then you're going to be more than happy to take care of the Hollingsworth Law Firm because they're going to take care of you. But at that certain point and all the way through the process, you need someone that's going to be there on your side fighting for you for whoever needs to be taken on and however the insurance company and the other driver need to be dealt with so that you get your car back to the way it was before the accident, you get the way you were before the accident, and all the pain and suffering is taken care of. That's why I encourage you to write this phone number down and put it in your phone. 713-999-8773. 713-999-8773. That is the Hollingsworth Law Firm, and you can go to carwrecktexas.com as well. But I'm telling you, to have that number ready to go when you need it most, I just sent a friend of mine there. They took care of him every step of the way. They'll take care of you too. They're bilingual as well. But the main thing is their specialty is exactly what you need most when you're in an accident, and that's car wrecks. Go to carwrecktexas.com or call Steve and his associates. 713-999-8773, carwrecktexas.com. You all right? My leg is broken. The oh, ball's coming see. through. Let me see. Let me see. Ah, oh, 
f***ing loan, you brick. Where's my f***ing money? This is the Car Wreck of the Day brought to you by CarWreckTexas.com. All right, final segment of the Killer Bees today here on ESPN 97.5. Joe George and uh, in for Jeremy Branham alongside Joel Blank. You can find us on Twitter at Joe George Radio at Pac-Man. Joel, we'll begin our car wreck of the day here. Any nominations, you can send them in to 713-780-3776. You know what? I'm going to start today, Josh. Play my music. Your music? Yeah. You have music? I do for this. Today for the car record today, I'd like to nominate Patrick Creighton for taking things way too seriously. And so today I'd like to read you an expert from at P. Creighton 1. We talked about him fudging his picks earlier on the air. He's not happy with us. So here's what Patrick said to us today, Joel Blank. I'm not at all surprised by the incredible pettiness and sheer douchery of some of my colleagues like Joe George Radio and at Pac-Man Joel, among others. Expected more from Joel. Maybe I shouldn't have. Thought we were friends. Say they allege that I fudge my picks each week because I'm crushing them in NFL picks this year. Never mind that I give my picks on air on Fridays. I guess I don't listen enough. But since there's no prize for winning... Wow! And I get blamed for all this, too, which is fantastic. There is no incentive for being better than anyone. Plus, they whine about having to pick each game. Cry me a river. Last year, when I was 20 games under, no one had any issue. This year, because I'm 30 over, it's a conspiracy. Or maybe I've capitalized on a combo of better analysis, better research, and some luck. Can't just congratulate someone else for doing well. Jealousy is ugly, fellas. Especially when you're showing it for something for which there's literally no freaking reason to be envious of. There's literally nothing on the line here. I'm still... Sorry, there's a lot here. Last year, John Granato killed it on his picks. He tagged John. That was a mistake. I applauded him and congratulated him on kicking all of our butts last season. Maybe you could take a page from that. Also, you guys suck this year. Just own it. Serious weak sauce and pettiness. Do better. Week AF. Hashtag late hits. Nine o'clock tonight. Can't wait. After soccer matters. That's my nomination for car wreck of the day. Patrick Great. Joel? Um... Any nominations? <laughs> the the NBA for having the Rockets off for this long so yeah, that I, really I have stupid. to resort to this today. <laughs> and that tonight I got to hope that Thursday night football saves my last couple of days. Uh, I also want to quickly nominate someone called me yesterday and asked me how they watch Thursday night football games. Guys, like, how are we still doing this? I know you can prob- I answer that because yeah. I got a really great answer. Call my four year old. She can figure it out. Dude, the uh, this was just the other night. We were sitting there, and I was watching. I think I was watching an NBA game. And she was like, Daddy, can I sit with you on the couch? She always does. She falls asleep. She's watching the iPad. And all of a sudden, my big screen goes completely dark. And then suddenly, like, YouTube Kids pops up on the TV. And I look I look at her, and I look at Lisa. I go, who did that? And Maddie, she figured it out. Maddie looks at me and goes, I did, Daddy. If I press this button right here, it pops up. It pops up on the TV. I'm like, oh. "Ooh, you literally could be the poster child for all these people that can't figure it out." But then again, I still people that call me and ask me like, "What channel the Astros game is on?" They play on the same channel, like 140 out of 162 games a year. It blows my mind. Your boy Lamont's pretty notorious. For I putting know. It out on I, Twitter. And I like Lamont too, but he tweets that stuff, and I just don't get it. Like, he must just not know. Like, he must just forget all the time. I mean, to me, it would be to save face so I didn't take the heat on Twitter. 
that I would just go to Google and just put DirecTV Astros game. But that's my point. Why are you calling a radio station that doesn't carry Astros games and saying what TV channel are they on? Gilbert? Sorry, Gilbert. That was I, me. I, but I you're, you're just throwing you're just throwing everybody under the bus and running them over today. Aren't you? today. Josh Chevy, what's your nomination? So my nomination goes out to a person who has multiple names depending on what area you grew up in. Brother Love, P. Diddy, Puffy Combs, whatever the case is. What now, did Diddy do? So Diddy's being sued by his ex, I believe her name is Casey or Cassie, I, I forget how to uh spell it, but it's some of the stuff that he's alleged is egregious. But that's not what caught my <laughs> attention here. So now, I don't know for a lot of people, but, you know, sometimes you feel like you have the ex that got away, right? And so my nomination is going out to Diddy today for being one of those jealous exes that, and here's the, here's a quote from, uh, I guess, this lawsuit. In one incident described in the court papers, Miss Ventura says that in early 2012, Mr. Combs, <clears throat> Diddy, grew so, grew so angry about her dating the rapper Kid Cudi that he said he would blow up the rapper's car. Around that time, the suit Damn. says, Kid Cudi's car exploded in the driveway. Oh, no! <laughs> now, is that petty? Yo, but Diddy's... Okay. Is Diddy petty or Petty Diddy? Diddy's involved in Tupac, right? Am I remembering that I correctly? believe so. He he came up at that time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely was, think Diddy was, is, like, he, involved he in, was, like, that whole thing. He was thing. Biggie's best yeah, friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I was just watching just because they finally arrested Keefy D. I can't... Now I can't remember the name of the series, but... They, there was oh, there's the, a ton of them. I there, watched there all the, the documentaries on it. There was a TV show that they, like, they, this guy they cast, it blows my mind when I'm watching. He looks just like Tupac. And the other guy looks just like Biggie. And it, like, blows my mind every single time. It's pretty new. But it was through, like, the whole, like, reopening of the investigation. Really well done. All right, let's pick a winner, boys. <laughs> we know where you're voting. P. Diddy. I'll go P. Diddy. Hell no. Patrick Creighton, congratulations. No, you no, are the no, winner no, no. Of the Josh gets a record. vote. Josh gets a vote. It's, a th- it's three votes. I'm going to go with P. Diddy. Just a vote. I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. Soft. S-A-W-F-T. Soft. Should have been Patrick. All right. That does it for us. I'm Joe George. I can't wait to listen at 9 o'clock tonight when I try to get roasted or he tries to roast me. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Myself and Joel Blank. We'll have BC Money. We'll have Who Said It? Us first BMAC. We'll be back tomorrow at 3. The only battle we're fighting? Game on is next. just asking. See ya.